Welcome to another episode of uh, Harley Street Health. Uh, today we are joined by Dr. Jen Dennis uh, Chua, get the name right. Um, he's an ENT surgeon and an expert in surgery for sleep apnea. Hello, Dennis. Hey, hi, uh, Mike, how are you doing? Thanks yeah, for good, the invitation. Good. Yeah, so um, I thought we'd talk about sleep apnea today and this is something that we deal, let's turn my phone off, we deal a lot with in, in our clinic because um, people with heart conditions often have sleep apnea and sleep apnea itself is often you know one of the causes of heart conditions things like hypertension and a lot of our heart failure patients diabetic patients also are overweight and suffer from sleep apnea so I, I'm really keen to get a kind of surgeon's view and an expert's view on this um, so this is why we thought we'd, we'd have a chat to you today so I think maybe start off with so what is what is sleep apnea? Can I go back to basics? Sure. So essentially, sleep apnea is a situation whereby you stop breathing during your sleep. And as a result, your oxygen, oxygen level drops. And you can, if you think about it, the organs that require oxygen are the ones that get affected. For example, your heart, your brain, and your other organs. There are, of course, a few different types of sleep apnea. Obstructive sleep apnea from obstruction in the upper airway is the commonest that we see. Other conditions like central sleep apnea, of course, much less common. I think obstructive sleep apnea, the reported incidence in Singapore is that one in three Singaporeans can have obstructive sleep apnea. That's yeah, how high super, it is. It's super common, isn't it? It's, it's, it's crazily common here. Why, why is it so yeah. common in Singapore? Well, I, I can think of two main reasons for this. One, you know, the incidence of allergic rhinitis is really common. Yeah. So in Singapore, the reported prevalence is one in five Singaporean adults may have allergic rhinitis. So that kind, of, that kind of like narrows your nasal cavity to begin with. So you kind of have a congested nose. And if you have a congested nose, your risk of sleep apnea is higher. The second reason is, I mean, there are more Asians in Singapore and the Asian structural habitus. So anatomically speaking, our nasal cavity and oral passages are just narrow to begin with. So if you combine that with... Um, uh, allergic rhinitis that really increases the incidence. Okay. And so, I mean, what, so what are the risks? So you've got allergic rhinitis. What are the other risk factors for sleep apnea? And what's, what's, what's going to increase someone's chance of having it? Yeah, so that's a very interesting question because uh, I get, sometimes I have patients asking me, look, um, you know, how about body habitus? If you're fat? I mean, the typical sleep apnea sufferer will be a middle-aged male. Mm. What's often described in a Charles Dicker novel, obese fella, looks very tired, very fat neck and snoring. So that's a typical guy. But I'll tell you, yeah. what, sleep apnea sufferers can come in any, sh any shapes and sizes, if I, if I can say that. Sleep apnea, in, in, for example, can occur in very skinny individuals, simply because anatomically speaking, the upper airway is just so narrow. For example, from allergic rhinitis, very big tonsils, yeah. So you basically don't have to be overweight to have sleep apnea. So even if, even, yes. yeah, you're, you're right. It's classically, we always think that it's associated with kind of people that are the thick neck and perhaps a bit overweight. Yeah. But yeah, you're, yeah, so you don't actually have to be that, that kind of person to have the, the condition. So, so, yes. how do you, so how do you know if you've got sleep apnea? What kind of symptoms do you get? Mr. The, the typical sleep apnea sufferer, I mean, in my experience, would be the man who has been forced to come because his wife is complaining, he's snoring too loud. So that would be <laughs> typical. 
The snoring is just keeping her awake. It's getting yeah. worse in recent years. There may be some choking or, you know, it kind of stops breathing a little bit. Then there will be obviously that could be due to sleep apnea. Yeah. So this would be the typical sort of presentation. Okay. And what, so what do you do? I mean, so in terms of like, if someone comes to you and they've been snoring, what's your kind of process of assessing these people? So firstly, I think I'll take a really detailed history. In fact, one thing that I focus a lot on is whether these conditions affect their productivity, their work, their sleep, and their quality of life. And of course, if let's say, uh, and so it's not just sleep that we're talking about. In fact, if you ask many sleep apnea sufferers, they sleep fine. There's no, they don't feel any obstruction during the sleep. It's actually reported by someone sleeping next to them. So in the day, they can feel very tired. They may have early morning headaches. Their attention span, concentration, and memory may not be as good as what it was before. And especially one thing that I always ask them is, how do you feel after lunch? Do you have to compensate with coffee? I mean, if they feel like, you know, they are just very mentally sluggish or one of my patients called it mental fog after lunch, then it's something that I want to be very careful about. This is, of course, for adults. Yeah. Yeah. They'll get, they'll get more I mean, kind of I, groggy and sleepy in the afternoon. I get it like that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm I, mean up, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's normal to have this like post-prandial sort of feeling, yeah. but it shouldn't affect your work to a significant degree. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it doesn't affect that for you. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't affect my work, but you know, I'll take lunch <laughs> and I'll be a bit, a bit sleepy in the afternoon. Um, okay. So, so you start with the history and then what's the next steps? Any blood tests useful or is it a sleep study you go straight to? So the next thing I usually do is to assess for possible obstruction because obstruct, uh, obstructive sleep apnea usually means there's some sort of obstruction. And especially if they tell me that they're very loud snoring, tells me there's some obstruction in the upper airway. So I'll do a nasal endoscopy. It's a very simple office-based process that's painless and quick. Mm. It's much less painful than the COVID swaps that people go for nowadays. Yeah. And to see the amount of narrowing in the nasal oral passages. And if I suspect that there's significant narrowing, then I'll order a sleep study test for them. Okay. And in turn, just to describe what people, so when people think about sleep studies, they're worried that they've got to go and go into a lab and sleep in a lab overnight. That's not what we're talking about here, is it? It's, it's far more, less unobtrusive than that. Yes. So you're absolutely right on that. And I think there are different levels of sleep study. In the past, I would say maybe 10 years ago, you literally had to sleep in what we call a sleep laboratory. Yeah. You're sleeping while somebody's standing there looking at you and you have like th- thousands of leads all over the place. And of course, you can imagine it's really hard to fall asleep. And there's this thing known as a first night effect that you have to account for. So first night effect uh, means you're sleeping in a strange environment, a lot of leaves on your body, and basically you can't fall asleep. And of course, if you don't fall asleep, the sleep test is not as accurate as you want it to be. So they end up having to repeat the test. The good thing about technological advances is nowadays you can do your sleep study test in the comfort of your own home. So you want to simulate a very natural home environment you just have to make sure that you pick a day whereby you know you can sleep well, no caffeine after lunch. Usually I tell them that. And make sure that you're not disturbed. If you have kids, you might want to make sure that you're sleeping in a room all by yourself. And really, I mean, the, the, usually there's this device that's really easy to use. You operate it and then um, you basically just press the on button and then it just automatically switches off after a few hours and we get the data that we want. Yeah. And it assesses things like heart rate, your oxygen levels when you're sleeping, your respiration rate, um, and the kind of depth of your sleep, doesn't it? And from that, you can make a decision about whether they've got, how, how severe the obstruction is. And when you get the report back, Dennis, um, so you, it's like you get mild, moderate, and severe, don't you, generally? I mean, which ones, yes. what do you do for each level? What's the kind of options that they've got? 
So normally for those with mild obstructive sleep apnea, I, I kind of give them a pat on the back and tell them it's good news. Yeah. Um, treatment usually depends on where the obstruction is. And for most people who fall into this category, usually it can be attributed to allergic rhinitis, which is a bit of nasal congestion. Right. One very interesting fact about allergic rhinitis is many people may not know that they have it. Nasal congestion happens insidiously. So, you know, literally you're, you're literally having it for many years and it feels normal to you. But when you really treat the nose with nasal sprays and it really clears up, then you realize what normal is supposed to feel like. Sometimes I have patients walking in and they have total nasal obstruction. They literally walk in and speak in a very hyponasal voice and they say really? that my nose is yeah. fine. Yes, yeah. And, oh. and you know, it's, they say they're fine and they're so used to it, but usually, so we treat the nose. For moderate and severe, those are the ones with significant health impacts. And early on, you pointed out about the cardiac effects of, of sleep apnea. So moderate and severe are the ones that we really want to be super careful about. So a CPAP is what I usually prescribe for them, a CPAP yeah. therapy. So that stands for continuous positive airway pressure. It's like a machine that pumps root, uh, air into your upper passage and kind of uh, make sure that, you know, it overcomes all these episodes where you actually don't get enough air. So it really pushes the oxygen level up. So that's what I do for them, moderate and severe sleep apnea. And they've got different, so I've seen a few of these devices and the ones we use in different patients. So you've got the, no, the nose ones, the specific nose mask as well as the kind of full face mask as well. Don't oh you? yeah. You've got any examples I, there, have you? Oh, um, well, I have the one that I think is the one that, it's ah, most yeah. comfortable for most people. Yeah, yeah. So this is just one example. Of course, there's like a rubber tubing that connects to a machine. Yeah. The very interesting thing about CPAP, let's say prior to initiation of CPAP therapy, I always tell my patients, number one, you have to be really patient because nobody likes it in the first month. Number yeah. two, do a trial first before you commit to buying the machine. The machine is expensive, do a trial, try on different types of masks. You will get the fit eventually. And the third thing that really helps improve compliance, because we all know the compliance for CPAP isn't great, is to actually pre-treat the nose. So you can imagine what this device does, it doesn't really pump oxygen into your body. It mm. pumps normal air, right? So to ensure that it happens, it has to have a certain amount of pressure forcing it in, which is the problem is if you have a very narrow nasal passages, the pressure now has to go higher. The higher the pressure, the lower the compliance rate because it's just uncomfortable. So sometimes what I do is I give the patient some nasal sprays, either in the form of a salt, uh, salt saline, kind of saline spray to clean the nose to really help them optimize usage of the CPAP. Do you use the so steroid sprays? I mean, if, if a lot of it's to do with allergic rhinitis, do the steroid sprays have a big, a big um, benefit or, or just uh, yes. so for dependent? patients with allergic rhinitis, uh, you're quite right. I'll combine the saline spray and the steroid spray together. But of course, this is just short term is to kind of help the patient in the first month to yeah. get used to using the CPAP because I really want to improve their compliance. I mean, the, if you look at the literature out there, some of the compliance are, can be as bad as less than 30% of uh, usage beyond, beyond the first month. Yeah, goodness me. That's, that's pretty yeah. poor. And what about, so in terms of these machines, I mean, how noisy are they? Because obviously a lot of people have got a partner they're sleeping with in the same bed. Is it going to keep the partner yeah. awake when they're using this machine? Yeah, so I have... Uh, so it all depends on the machine, but again, with technological advances, they're getting smaller, yeah. they are getting quieter. And you know the thing about noise, right? If it's a background sort of a constant humming, it never ever affects you as much as the, you know, one sudden loud boom. Yeah. So most of these machines, 
they're actually quieter than 20 decibel, which is much uh, quieter than the conversational uh, that we are speaking in right now. It's kind of quieter than uh, me. So if you think actually, about an airplane, I mean, you're, if you're sleeping on an airplane, it's, you've got a background oh, yeah. hum. It's a lot louder than 20 decibels. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. What about, so what about lifestyle modification? Because I mean, most of these patients are, are overweight. They have got thick necks. Does weight loss actually help? I mean, and um, maybe reducing alcohol and any other things that you can, you can think of that do benefit them. Yeah, well, one thing is, uh, I mean, lifestyle measures like a healthy diet, healthy lifestyle, definitely the BMI is something that I get them to try to uh, reach their optimal BMI. So I have a weighing machine in my clinic and we always have this goal whereby we set for them, uh, you know, to lose weight. And of course, the trick to losing weight is not to lose it too fast because you end up losing muscle mass. So it's a very graduated uh, weight loss uh, regime. It does help if they have a very thick neck and, um, and they are overweight. One benefit about exercise that I've noticed is, uh, and I think some of the literature reports this as well, is that exercise does improve muscular tone. And it, we're just talking about the normal jogging and, and cardiovascular exercises. Once you increase and improve the muscular tone, for example, of the tongue and the soft palate, those things tends to be less floppy. It can help cut down the more snoring that the patient has. So you've got to get them to talk more. Is that going <laughs> to... If they spend more time talking, does that... Improve it's very interesting because, you know, if you notice when you go jogging, right, I mean, you're literally activating the muscles in your whole body, not just your legs. Yeah. So even your neck muscles are kind of working and all that. Yeah, so yeah. thankfully, you don't have to use a specific sort of like a tongue exercise uh, uh, to help you with that. Yeah. Well, so how many of these patients actually need any surgical input? I mean, in terms of operations or operative treatment of the sleep apnea? I would say maybe less than 20%. Right, okay. And surgery is only advocated for people with a significant obstruction that can be corrected. Yeah. One example I can think of, for example, really, really big tonsils. For example, we do score tonsils from grade one to four. If you have grade four tonsils, whereby they're like the size of small little quail eggs and, and they're almost like kissing. So yeah. these are the cases that are excellent candidates for surgery. But if not, if it's like a multi-level sort of obstruction, then the patient may be better off with CPAP therapy. Okay. Okay. Right. So I think we're probably running out of time here, Dennis. Um, any mm -hmm. kind of key pointers for people if they're worried about having sleep apnea, anything that they can do to, to assess themselves or uh, things they should be worried about? When should they go and see a doctor? Well, the interesting thing about sleep apnea is it can be very insidious and it presents very differently. So in my mind, there are always three categories of patients with sleep apnea that I see the typical middle-aged male that's obese. And beyond that, there's actually the female. So female women with sleep apnea actually present very differently. Number one, snoring is not a very strong sign or symptom for females. Number two, they present with very non-specific symptoms like early morning headaches, mood disturbances, sometimes even insomnia. So you don't sleep well, but yet because the sleep cycle is disrupted, they get insomnia. Mm. And a lot of them may suffer from sleep apnea. And these aren't, are your like low BMI sort of females. They can have that. The third category of uh, sleep apnea patients that can be missed are actually children. So very young kids with huge tonsils or adenoids, they okay. can have sleep apnea and they don't, look, they don't appear tired at all. The thing about sleep apnea in kids is their attention span and concentration is, is uh, affected. So sometimes they can manifest as hyperactivity. So they can appear oh, okay. hyperactive instead. 
Yeah, so they're not tired. In fact, they look very active, but yet they are sleep apnea sufferers. So they get diagnosed as ADHD when actually they've got... In fact, apnea. yeah, some studies yeah. have suggested a strong association between ADHD wow. and sleep apnea in kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what, so in my practice, one of the kind of red flags for me is young people with high blood pressure. I mean, these are the ones where you've got to be thinking, you know, a little bit overweight, you need to be thinking about sleep apnea, particularly the patients that are requiring a lot of drugs because sleep apnea is often associated with resistant hypertension. So if you're on like three drugs for your blood pressure, we need to start thinking about sleep study and seeing if you've actually got sleep apnea as the underlying cause. And often what we'll find is that when we treat the sleep apnea, the blood pressure control improves as well. Um, so it, wow. it's, uh, I, I mean, I, I think anyone that's got any risk factors like diabetes, high blood pressure, is overweight, should be you know considering have they got sleep apnea asking their partner if they, if they snore you know things like that um hmm. okay any any final thoughts dennis before we wrap up well <laughs> i think that's it uh, for me <laughs> it has been really interesting uh, discussing about sleep apnea something yeah. that's so common in singapore oh, i say I, mean, I couldn't believe how common it was i mean when i got here it's it's so it's so common <laughs> um and actually as you say it's it's pretty treatable if they can tolerate the the CPAP mask. Yeah. I mean, I always tell them the first month is the toughest. So tough it out yeah. and it's going to be life-changing for them. That's what most patients tell me three months after the CPAP. They say it's life-changing and they should have really? done it like years ago. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So they just feel yeah. more alive, more energy during the day, sleeping better, you know, everything that falls into place. Oh yeah. And, and more productive at work as well. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, they're saying they're more proactive at work because now they are less fatigued. They have more ideas. They speak up more. These things do happen. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Dennis. Right. Thanks for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. If, if, if you're listening, if you like the video, you can press like and you can share it. That would be very helpful. Um, and just want to say thank you again to Den Dennis Chua. Uh, thanks, Dennis. Thanks a lot, Mike. See and you thanks soon. everyone for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>